Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Folklands, created, written, and presented by Tim Downey and Justin Chubb. Episode 3, Hellfire and Damnation, Part 1. Hello, my name's Justin Chubb, and together with my friend and fellow actor-writer Tim Downey, we're setting off around the country delving into folklore, history, and hopefully some intriguing stories out on location. Today is the first of a two-part excursion we've taken underground as we head off to explore two quite extraordinary subterranean spaces. Later on, we'll take you to the mysterious and truly magical Royston Cave. But first, we're heading off to West Wickham to look for the devil himself in the heart of the notorious Hellfire Caves. And to get us in the mood, here is Tim with an excerpt from the eerie pen of writer William Hope Hodgson and his unnerving novel, The House on the Borderland. Thus I came at last to the great cellar that I remembered. It is reached through a huge arched entrance on which I observed strange, fantastic carvings which threw queer shadows under the light of my candle. As I stood and examined these thoughtfully... It occurred to me how strange it was that I should be so little acquainted with my own house. Holding the light high, I passed on into the cellar and, keeping to the right, paced slowly up until I reached the further end. I walked quietly and looked cautiously about as I went, but so far as the light showed, I saw nothing unusual. At the top, I turned to the left, still keeping to the wall, and so continued until I had traversed the whole of the vast chamber... As I moved along, I noticed that the floor was composed of solid rock, in places covered with a damp mould, in others bare, or almost so, save for a thin coating of light grey dust. 
had halted at the doorway. Now, however, I turned and made my way up the center of the place, passing among the pillars and glancing to left and right as I moved. About halfway up the cellar, I stubbed my foot against something that gave out a metallic sound. Stooping quickly, I held the candle and saw that the object I had kicked was a large metal ring. Bending lower, I cleared the dust from around it and presently discovered that it was attached to a ponderous trap door, black with age. Feeling excited and wondering to where it could lead, I laid my gun on the floor and, sticking the candle in the trigger guard, took the ring in both hands and pulled. The trap creaked loudly, the sound echoing vaguely through the huge place and opened heavily. Propping the edge on my knee, I reached for the candle and held it in the opening, moving it left and right, but could see nothing. I was puzzled and surprised. There were no signs of steps, nor even the appearance of there ever having been any. Nothing, save an empty blackness. I might have been looking down into a bottomless, sideless well. Then, even as I stared, full of perplexity, I seemed to hear, far down as though from untold depths, a faint whisper of sound. I bent my head quickly more into the opening and listened intently. It may have been fancy, but I could have sworn to hearing a soft titter that grew into a hideous chuckling, faint and distant. Startled, I leapt backwards, letting the trap fall with a hollow clang that filled the place with echoes. Even then I seemed to hear that mocking, suggestive laughter. But this, I knew, must be my imagination. So it's a beautiful day. We're just leaving Holland Park. The sun is shining. Tim is shining. Morning, thank you. As are you, Justin. We're heading off to West Wickham in the Chilterns to the Hellfire Caves of Sir Francis Dashwood, which I'm very excited about. I can hardly contain myself. I can tell. I can, I, I can see. <laughs> we may need to stop. Yes, which I have never, ever been to. I've filmed in the house. We did horrible histories there, which is one of the rooms. So that's the only time I think I've ever been there. So I'm very excited about going into these chalk caves. On the BFI player, there's mm. a very, very short black and white clip. John Betjeman visits the mausoleum. It's all terribly British, this incredible place. But it looks amazing. <laughs> and the history and the dark past of the Hellfire Caves is legendary. So I'm hoping we can get, with our lovely guide Willow, some insight as to why they were built, what strange happenings and goings-on, which I'm sure there are a huge amount of what she can tell us. I want to find out if Willow is named after the character in The Wicker Man. I think you should open with that. <laughs> just have to work out our way around the Shepherd's Bush roundabout. Okay, yeah, I don't want to distract you. <laughs> this is quite a fun little area. If you go left down there, it was a place called the North London Coven, which was one of the first places modern wicker was born at the end of Holland Park Avenue. Gerald Gardner and Doreen Valiente setting up their coven. Obviously, we're in West London. Why it was called the North London Coven is another story, I think. There at the other end, up by Notting Hill Tube, is where Alexander's and his coven, the birthplace of Alexandrian witchcraft, was born. So modern Wicca, as we know it, was born 
started really springing up and becoming quite famous in the 60s. There's a great, actually, a BFI video of young initiate witches going down Portobello Market to search for their tools, like their athames and candle holders and things like that, but it's absolutely fascinating. A wand. A wand, all of that. He was known as the king of the witches, loved to court controversy and publicity. I suppose it was partly a bit of a hippie thing as well, maybe, about it, opening your mind. Very much, yeah. This really came to fruition, I think, in the late 60s. So it was a little bit of a kickback to the whole kind of love hippie movement. That precursor to that kind of dark eras of the 70s. These covens became very famous. Salacious newspaper articles that you would see would often be Maxine Sanders. She yes, was the, the poster girl of modern Wicca. But then the tabloids would obviously focus on orgies and... Constantly naked. Yeah. Constantly, constantly naked. Sky-clad, I think you might Sky-clad, exactly. Crossrail 
all the earth that they dragged up, they made those mounds. Could this explain Silbury Hill? There was yeah. a kind of medieval crossrail, yeah. the Ridgeway. But all this Ridgeway stuff, what are we going to do with it? I know. Digging down caves, you're kind of excavating the earth and then not knowing what to do with it. What does that bring with it? It's got a Quatermass thing about it. How far are we to West Wickham? We are about 20 miles. We're drifting towards the world of Amersham and Arthur Macken. Had a house in Amersham, the great Welsh mystic. Fantastic writer. Oh, one of our absolute favourites. Probably one of the very first folk horror writers, really. And he had that very famous story, what was it called? The Bowman. The Angel of Mons. The Angel of Mons, that on the battlefields. First World War. Belgium, I think it was. But it became such a well-known story that people believed it was a true story. Yeah, that lifted him to prominence. Which is an interesting thing about when does a folk tale become something that people actually genuinely believe happened. Probably about ten years ago, the writer Richard Wiseman, he's kind of a sceptic, he writes a lot about psychology, ghosts and belief systems, but he contacted me to try and get hold of this obscure 1970s series, Leap in the Dark. It began as a kind of documentary series where you have people in polyester 1970s polo necks, dowsing fields and things. But there was one specific episode where they were conducting an experiment to see if they could make a ghost story up in an area of London, Wapping, I think it was, to see how quickly they could introduce a story and see if people believed it. And it was extremely quick to happen. People started then sharing the story, and this particular episode was examining that as a phenomenon. It's craving for a link, I think. Yeah, I think people want to believe there is more to life than just going to the bloody office. Absolutely. And these are things like these caves and a couple of the other cave systems that are around London. These are man-made. The idea of wanting to dig down, wanting to dig into the earth and then to move around under the earth. You put your dead in the ground. I guess it's a place of secrecy. It's shadowy, it's dark, it's private. There's no sound. What we're about to find out might be very echoey, you never know. Maybe a few drips. Pope, the poet, Alexander Pope, dug tunnels in his house. And again, you can visit them once or twice a year because they're in the grounds of a school. He set up a little shell grotto there as well. And they lead into these quite elaborate cave systems that he built. And there's also the grotto in Margate. So I went there when I was probably 10 or 11 on a summer holiday with the family. I still remember it to this day because it's in like a row of houses, isn't it? It's in a quite grotty, run-down, very suburban street. Basically, a farmer found an opening in his field and it led down to this series of quite elaborately constructed tunnels with shells decorating all of the surfaces. And there's a central area with a kind of altar. It's very spooky, but no-one really been able to date it because you can't really carbon date shells because <laughs> that'd be prehistoric possibly so no one quite knows whether it was as far back as a roman temple or whether it was a sort of 17th century black magic meeting place or something more like the hellfire games there are obviously shell grottos in certain stately homes where they used to have the resident hermit these yeah. big rich houses would hire someone to be a hermit 
and to live in their grotto so that as your guests were walking around they would say yes absolutely we've done the garden here very Roman oh and there's the hermit you can see the hermit there in his cave it's such a strange idea isn't it such a strange idea but that was someone's profession occupation hermit. professional hermit <laughs> do you have a hermit permit so they were trying to create these Arcadian landscapes yeah. the paintings of Claude these idyllic Italianate landscapes that had ruins in one place maybe as you say a lone figure a shepherd a hermit so it's extraordinary to plan in an actual person yeah an artificial hill by a lake this is Marcus the hermit a lot of these rich landowners would have gone on a grand tour so probably would have come back from the oracle at Delphi and thought they might shove a little fake oracle in there yeah you know someone, don't you? That Marcus chap. Oh, yeah. We'll bring him in. He gives good hermit. He does. <laughs> the Hellfire Club and the Mausoleum look like they dominate the area on a hill. There's a huge golden orb above the caves. John Betjeman climbs the ladder and gets into the Golden Orb. Ooh, that'd be fun. Like, apparently ten of the knights of St Francis used to go and sit there. It must be something occult. Yes. Power of the land, maybe, or something. And, very excitingly as well, the finale of To the Devil a Daughter, in that big octagon, hexagonal yes. tomb thing, that's where Christopher Lee and Natasha Kinski... Well, look, I've said too much already. Dennis Wheatley... I used to really love Dennis Wheatley. Oh, yes. I'm not sure about the quality of the writing, really. But then The Devil Rides Out is a classic. That is brilliant. And it has got a good creepy atmosphere, that one. Mm. Going past the traditional Greggs. Very eerie. Oh, There's a crow on the traffic light. I'm not saying it's an open bun. It's a beautiful sunny day, but the slight mist on the horizon. So those hills of the Chilterns, and we're going to go inside them. The chalk escarpment runs a little bit further south, and it will join the Ridgeway right the way down, Britain's oldest road, and then it joins onto the Ignealed Way that goes over the Chilterns up into Ely. That's where it ends. The Ignealed Way is where I grew up, but in Hertfordshire, so right at the literal end of the Chilterns. So I've, uh, yeah scampered their slopes my whole adolescent life. So he was a bit of a celebrity. There's a quite famous picture that William Hogarth painted of Sir Francis Dashwood with symbols of his occultism and debauchery. Instead of reading the Bible, he's reading a book with a semi-clothed lady. <laughs> and then there's a quite spooky halo with face of one of his followers staring down at him. He's nothing if not on brand. That's that's it. There it is. On a hill dominating the road in front of us, there is a facade with white pillars and a central tower with a golden orb dominating the top. Very kind of Palladian folly, really. Yeah. Very dramatic.
imagining us in a horse and carriage. If they don't have one ready for us, I should be slightly put out. Absolutely. Looks like there's a big estate on our left, which may have been Dashwood's house. I imagine it all is. It might still be. It's got very much a feel if this was like an M.R. James story where the academic arrives. And probably stays in the plough over the there plow. next to the post office and village store. Very put out when anyone comes in to ask any questions. I'm getting a little shiver of excitement. There's a woman in a onesie walking her dog. Dashwood would be thrilled. The debauchery of wearing a onesie. Out in the middle of the afternoon. Just past a wrought iron gate with a griffon head. Really is a stunning day. The sky is absolutely cloudless blue. It's mid-September, so it's just on that cusp of becoming autumnal. This is it. A flint facade with ivy growing up it. But it's got that aesthetic, hasn't it, of the ruin, like you're entering an ancient place. Very exciting. So we're just taking in the mock ruin facade. Quite a tall, flinty wall, ivy growing up the centre, and it's got a little OG arch with a heraldry symbol that says something about the Magna Carta. I can't quite see, but it's very peaceful. It is. Let's have a look. We're just walking up the hill a little bit. We can see the mausoleum in front of us. It's very stunning. And this must be the hill inside which the caves descend. There's bits of chalk in the earth. So we can see the golden orb over the walls of the flint and pillared, I'm not sure if it's hexagonal, construction, which is the mausoleum, and there's wrought iron gates. I think you can get ten people inside the golden orb. Wow. Doesn't look like it would hold ten. Quite strange. That's stunning. Absolutely beautiful day. Blue mist across the rolling green hills and puffy green trees. I'm glad I'm not in a jumper. Oh, I am. <laughs> Dressed very badly for this. So this is quite a steep hill we're going up. There's a few crone-like hikers with their sticks. It's actually easy to imagine it right back in that era because there's very little building around. We can still hear a bit of traffic on the motorway, otherwise we could be back in 1755. A few less wigs. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're really good. And you filmed inside? Inside and out the back. There's a lake in front of the house. Me and Robert Webb filmed a series of Go Compare adverts on that lake. Nothing but glamour. Yeah. So we're just approaching the mausoleum. As we rise up the hill to the gates, you can see inside there are alcoves all around the hexagonal walls. There's all the urns. With urns. There were 24 members of the Hellfire Club. Sorry, I'm just getting my breath. <laughs> it is a bit of a climb. Presumably a 24 urns, which were supposed to contain the hearts of the members of the Hellfire Club after they died. And I believe one did end up in an urn. They were ready for them. So inside the hexagonal enclosure, it's grass, and there's a central, larger urn, which I'm guessing is probably where Sir Francis Dashwood would have had his... Most definitely. ...corrupt heart. <laughs> a face of like a little imp on the side where the handle is. Oh, wow. And a kind of claw foot underneath the stone urn. I've actually just counted the urns, and there are 24. <gasps> and there's a plaque on the wall, engraved gravestone. It says Francis Dashwood. Anthony John Harewood Harewood Dashwood 11th Baron 
Hmm. Yeah, sinister. There is an atmosphere here. Yeah. There's something about also that orb on the tower above as a watchful presence. Yeah. It's a little bit sinister. There's little spy holes in the golden orb that you could look through. I don't know if the idea was that people were not supposed to know that you could actually get human beings inside there, so that they were secretly watching. It would be very much in keeping. A large carafe of claret might have also (laughs) found its way up into the tower. Shall we walk around it? Yes, let's do that. This brings to mind the Lost Hearts, M.R. James... Yes, it does. ...story and the, particularly the adaptation. There's yes. just something about the stillness. It's incredibly eerie. You can imagine driving your carriage in and seeing little children in the wood with very long fingernails. There's a lovely yew tree here, huge. We're going through a graveyard next to a 17th-century-style church. Not very elegant, although the tower... It's quite square, so it could be Norman. Could be Norman, yes. I'm always quite fascinated with Victorian graveyard art. Like, for instance, there's a pillar over there that's broken in two, and it means for a life cut short, which means that person may have been very young when they died. You've seen the three steps. They represent Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The orb may be on top of the church. It's like it's on top of a bell tower. Isn't it strange? It's strange. Just the idea of constructing a large gold orb and thinking, right, I'm going to put that on top of the church and we can sit in that. What am I going to do with this large gold orb? (laughs) I know, Frank. Put it on this tower. All right. St Lawrence and St Paul's Church is West Wickham. Well, it's definitely very padlocked. We've done a circuit of the church and now we're at the back of the mausoleum. I don't know, there's something about that enclosure that's a little disturbing. It is. It's keeping something in. If they had all died and their hearts were all inside those urns... Very, very creepy, the energy that would be around that. Yeah. (gasps) It's just so prominent. We saw this mausoleum on the way in. It wants you to look at it. Definitely. And I suppose it was the era of folly, strange constructions didn't necessarily have any function apart from a decorative or an atmospheric purpose. That early Gothic. Which I suppose coincided with ghost stories becoming more prevalent, maybe. Or the mysteries of Udolpho and yes, Mrs Radcliffe. the castle of Otranto. At Warpole, first Gothic novel. So I guess that's all around that same period. Must have been 17-something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, thank you very much. Hey. Hello, so I'm Willow. This is your place for the day, so it's up to awesome. you guys where you want to get started. Well, okay. We're, in, okay. we're in your capable hands. I have to ask if your name is inspired by the Wicker Man. It's not, unfortunately. <laughs> it was my granddad's favourite tree. So and how long have you been here? I've been working here for about two and a half years now, and I've come all things cave, so I might start growing moss soon, but that's besides <laughs> the point. So it is about 8 to 10 degrees down there, so it will get a bit chilly. I'll put my yeah. jerkin back on. And we do have bats as well. They do fly around. And trust me, it's not nice when you get one tangled on your hair. It's like entering the ghost train. It's such a different location. So when people don't know the history, and you have to go, well, a short version, it was sort of a Georgian sex cave, but the long version is, and then people go, what? It wasn't your most naturally dug cave system. Mm. It was man-dug between 1748 and 1752. But Sir Francis was gifted the title of Leda Spencer and his family bought the house in the 1730s. It was a big house in those days. It was all about showing your assets and he wanted a cave apparently. In the 1300s, West Wickham became this big farming village and it was used for trade. There was unfortunately nine failed years of harvests within the village and mainly because of these harvest failures, he decided that Wickham needed this hero. Being a member of parliament, many members of the club were people of importance, very important people doing things that they didn't do in the public eye. The equivalent of modern day celebrities. I was about to say it. Probably not much has changed yeah. to this day. And it so, was a men only club. They had superior and inferior members. The superior members were elected by this ritual that they did. It was bizarre. All these superior members had their own part of it that they took. Paul Whitehead, who we'll talk a lot about, who was Dashwood's second-hand man. He was also the one that wrote all of the hymns that they sung at these meetings. It was very culty. They would come dressed in robes. Dashwood himself would dress as the Pope. They were all about anti-religion and going against society. Because it was all about having this big reputation of being this reliable member of society. He wanted to be this hero, so he brought 100 men up to this hill and told them to quarry all the chalk out because all the carriages were upturning on the main road. So he went, I'm going to build a new road between West Wickham and High Wickham. Someone a few years ago came up and he was doing roadworks in Loudwater and he said, we dug to this chalk bed and the only place it could have come from is the caves. So it stretches 20, 30 minutes away that all this chalk was used for. And the church and the mausoleum, all of that was built from the slate from the caves as well. Oh, wow. So when you put the lights up, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. And they would have just had candles, and I promise you it's terrifying. And have you been down there many times on your own? We do cave checks at the end of every day to make sure no one's down there. And when you join, they make you do it on your own. It's terrifying. And whether or not you believe in it, we are said to be one of the most haunted sites in the UK as well. Yeah. Before I worked here, I didn't believe anything. And now I have gone on this journey and I've done hundreds of paranormal investigations up and down the country. And What have you encountered? As I mentioned, this first cave check that I did, yeah. 
went down on my own. I'm like, I am a big girl. I'm so brave. Literally, blood-curdling scream as loud as day in my ear. And I know the audio wasn't on because I turned it off before I came down. Ran back up. And went off at everyone. And they're like, there's no one down there. We all went down, locked up behind us. There's literally no one down here. Shall we delve deeper? We're just going past a sort of mannequin in a monk's robe, and now we're entering the tunnel itself. And as we sort of get to the end of this corridor, you feel that temperature drop. Oh, you do. They would use pickaxes, shovels, and they had donkey and cart to remove all of the massive lumps of chalk. They wanted to make it this intricate system of tunnels and small alcoves. We only know what a few of them were used for. We know how long it took them to actually tunnel. Four years, between 1748 and 1752. And then 1755 is when the Hellfire Club moved their meetings down here. In the 1730s, they had them in a pub called the Georgian Vulture in London. The Hellfire Club term is only a blanket term. Our club was called the Brotherhood of Sir Francis of Wickham. They're representing themselves as these saintly people. The Knight Templar. Exactly. Then the pub burned down. They moved them to Medmedon Abbey, which is where the most of the meetings were held. And then eventually the king heard all these rumours. These were all very important people. Mm. And then he went, you know what? We need somewhere more secret. So they moved them to the cave. No one knows truly what happened in these meetings. They wouldn't have had all this secrecy if it wasn't for what yeah. they were doing. So it's definitely getting colder as we go further down. Not necessarily it's harder to breathe, but you can feel the damp in the air. Yeah. If you do shimmy along the walls, you will get covered in chalk. And this wet and clammy and cold. You see it's a chance of showers in this alcove because it's quite drippy. But this is supposed to be our lovely Paul Whitehead. He was, as I said, the secretary of the club and Dashwood's second-hand man. He is the reason that we know nothing about the club. Because four days before he died on his estate, he decided to burn every single record of the club that he had. He ordered the house staff and all of the groundsmen to collect all of this, build a massive bonfire in the front lawn and burn it all. Paul, he was said to be a poet... He often had to go into hiding because of all these dark and debaucherous things that he had written. Him and Sir Francis shared the similar values of loving women and drinking and partying and etc. So much so that when Paul Whitehead died, he left two things to Sir Francis. £50 for a marble urn and his heart. My best friend, I'm going to leave him my vital organs. But that urn is the one that his heart would have been in. So the heart was removed and put into the urn. It was removed, put into the urn. Originally it was placed up in the Dashwood Mausoleum. Yes. And he has this massive plinth next to Sir Francis. We did walk up to have a look and I had read that there were 24 alcoves for urns that were supposed to contain the hearts of Mm. the members. That's the one Uh, that Paul Whitehead used to be in. And that thing is solid marble. It's very heavy, I promise you. But then they exhumed it. They used the heart as a twisted version of show and tell. For a few shillings, you could pay the man and you could feel the heart. Because it's these people that were going against society. They were then regarded as these sort of devils. And then in 1824, his heart was stolen by an Australian soldier or explorer. But at the point that it was stolen, it was said to be the smallest lump of charcoal that you would have ever seen. The mummified walnut. 
Sir Francis and Paul Whitehead, they had such ideologies of this anti-religion that there are rumours that they were a bit more than friends, okay. but... The motto of the club was Feke Se Tu Vudra, which translates to do what thou wilt. Mm. And the Earl of Sandwich, John Montague, said that the club most definitely did do, quote, who and what they wanted. Paul Whitehead would sit in this alcove and sign everyone in, take down all their details, their name, their age, their address, their occupation. There was 50 inferior members of the lower class and women were brought in from the streets and right. also perhaps maybe smuggled in from secret entrances. It was not a Me Too Absolutely society. Not. But it's perhaps that child trafficking was involved as well. Yeah. Again, these weren't nice, but as much as, you know, we jest, we laugh, it was sort yeah. of this fun club. It was very dark. Pretty it brutal. was Yeah. Anyway, they'd sign people in and he'd also give them their attire for the night. Men would dress as monks, women would dress as nuns, and Dashwood himself would dress as the Pope. Not just cosplay. A little bit more. (laughs) And here we can see this used to be painted this gorgeous bright red, and this is said to represent Dashwood. There's a carving on the wall which looks like a face with two eye marks and a sort of open crying mouth. And there's one right there as well. That's even more spooky. This is more like a skull carved into the chalk. And these were carved by William Hogarth, who was a very famous painter and sculptor at the time. He was a member of the club. Dashwood went on these two grand tours of Europe and when he went to Italy he met Hogarth, told him all these ideologies and then brought him back here. And I've counted about 45 faces in the walls down here. They're all placed in very intricate ways and they're Mm. said to all represent members of the Hellfire Club. Mm. There is actually the face of the devil carved into the walls sort of a bit further down the tunnels. Okay, there we go. The reason we believe that Dashwood himself was placed here is because they get to this point, we call it our circle because it goes around both ways. Ladies would go to the right and men would go to the left and they would meet their partner for the evening. Right. That's why we think that Dashwood was here so he could scope out whatever he was enjoying for the evening. The club were rumoured to only have two meetings a year in the spring and in the autumn, but members like John Wilkes said that they met almost weekly. This is more than likely just for casual drinks. Again, these people were friends. They actually called these meetings chapters. So again, they have this ritualistic belief and they held it in such high regard. St. Lawrence's Church was originally 1300s and Dashwood, when he built the mausoleum, he then rebuilt the church as well. But the tower is possibly Norman then. Yeah, and right in the Golden Bull, they used to have these very large mirrors which they used the sun to reflect and create this signal to signify that they were going to have a meeting. Oh, that's what the... Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's... I mean, the Golden Ball hasn't been open for about 20-odd years, but I used yeah. to go up in the tower when I was very little, and it's you can literally see the whole of Buckinghamshire through Amazing. it. We're going down the ladies' tunnel... It gets a lot colder down here. It's up to you, you didn't have to follow me. (laughs) This is what we call 22 steps. This is the longest straight passage that we have down here. But there are certain rooms that are directly below the church and the mausoleum. How they would have done that back in the 1700s, I don't know. But here's a list of names that were members of the club. You see MP, MP, MP sort of around here. William Hogarth, John Norris, who was the owner of Hewingdon Manor. And it's all these politicians, and it sort of, it does make you wonder, what do they get up to nowadays? The Archbishop of Canterbury's Mm -hmm. son, Thomas Potter. 
Him and John Wilkes wrote the most naughty poem known to man, and that poem brought about the end of the Hellfire Club. Oh. You can read it online, but I promise you it is not pretty. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's called An Essay on Women. So the list of names comes from... There are certain records that we have found through letters. When they redid Medmed and Abbey, I think it's a block of flats now, they actually found sort of hidden in the wall coins at the time, sort of robes and letters that did give us an idea of the type of people that were involved in these meetings. Yeah. Now, this is what we call 22 steps. We have these Roman numerals up here. We don't know what they were for. Some say and this is a remnants of an 18th century poem that was referring to secret passageways around the caves. Mm. But it was also said that there was this passageway all the way to the manor house and that that's how Dashwood would get from the manor to the caves without anyone knowing. Okay. I have measured the exact dimensions of that doorway, and in the basement of the house, and in some of the basements of the establishments in the village, there is exact doorways leading to nothing. Another picture I will show you guys of what the caves look like underneath the hill. Like a sort of... Heat sensor. Mm-hmm. It's about a quarter of a mile all the way down, mm. and the very bottom chamber's 300 feet directly underneath the altar of the oh, church. Wow, you see, yeah. If they were performing black masses and wanted to be directly under God's yeah. church, perhaps that was Heaven the and hell. That yeah. is what it's they said, bad. that they had this sort of heaven above and this man-dug hell below, yeah. Yeah. which you do have to cross the river sticks to get to. So if we delve down to our secret passageway. So we're going down a steeper incline, further down into the hill itself. There you go. This is our secret passageway. People who have worked here before have managed to get a pinpoint camera through. They can see that there is tunnel leading further. Oh, there is an opening. There is an opening behind the wall, but it obviously just goes black. But the nature of chalk, it either stays put or collapses. And unfortunately, it's not worth potentially collapsing the whole cave to see what's behind there. People just go, why do you think that's a secret passageway? Ah, uh, in the other wall, there are two quite spooky faces carved into the chalk, or maybe more, actually. Maybe oh, this is one, one too. They're very spooky, actually, aren't they? Yeah, they're horrible when you walk down in the dark and then shone your torch and you go, oh, I forgot that one was there. <laughs> it's yeah. that kind like of... like screaming faces, really. It is, it's sort of like the scream, sort of ghost face mm. kind of mask, which... So those are directly opposite where there's now a walled-up opening, which there is a passage beyond. Again, it makes you wonder, where did all of these passageways go to and where are there more? We've had some parts completely bricked up. Are there more faces behind there? Are there more inscriptions in the walls? When they were um, redoing the banqueting hall, this bag of coins fell out of the wall. So it wonders what is hidden. More records. Treasure. Yeah, who knows? There's a South American thing, you know, where miners put the face of the devil in the caves as a totem. And there's an Aboriginal thing as well that you're not supposed to dig up opals because it is the devil leading you down. Yeah. So maybe the coins in the wall are something to do with like an appeasement, an offering to whatever yeah. lives down here and they are coming into their like Mithras type thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When originally we opened up to the public, they brought the priest down from St. Lawrence's and took one look at the caves and said, there is something evil inside and it should not be let out. Wow. The inner temple for the very bottom chamber, which we only recently opened. Once that was redone, once it was restored, there was this black shadow figure that everyone started seeing everywhere. And people believe that because this was their hell and now it's open to people to go in there, that people believe that this is that Devil Lucius. And maybe they were 
using their masses to try and summon the well, devil. There's one meeting that happened that involves a baboon, and along with this poem is what brought about the end of the club. Yeah. And we know that that night they were said to be summoning the devil. Yeah. There is a bit of a dip in the floor, just be careful. It's definitely colder. It is going to So we're looking through some more gates at two figures. Any guesses on who they are? That looks like Dashwood himself mm-hmm. on the left. And that is Benjamin Franklin. Oh, <laughs> so he was the ambassador for the UK at the time in the midst of the American Revolution. And we know he definitely stayed over at West Wickham Park in the house. I can't remember the exact quote, but it was as gorgeous above as it is below. So we know he's visited these caves, but whether he was a member of the club, again, we can't confirm or deny. And if we veer around to the left, I can show you the face of the devil that's coming. Okay. But if you were coming down with a lantern, it would be so much more atmospheric. So they would have had to walk down that really steep incline with just a candle in hand. Do you think the 22 could be 22 ceremonial steps? Yeah, crossing this pathway yeah. almost. Some sort of occult geometry. Yeah. It's 22. I'm imagining like them map. kind of walking backwards, just yeah. making it up. But it is, it's that sort of, we have to presume and we have to create these ideas mm. because the club was said to have the largest collection of satanic material at the time. So you have to make these yeah. assumptions because it probably wouldn't have been far from the truth. And here is our lovely face. As you can see, we've been painted a bright red and he has lost a horn over time. That is genuinely spooky. It's horrifying. He was considered a member because we know that all these faces were members of the club. That's what Dashwood informed Hogarth to do. Whether or not this was just sort of a joke or whether this was because they had him as their leader that they had to The fact that it's all slightly mottled, it looks really like skin or something, doesn't it? Is that traces of the paint, do you think? Comparing the stark white chalk mm. to the blood red paint that would have been on here, mm. lighting that up with a candle and seeing that in the darkness. That would be very terrifying. terrifying. Looming out of the darkness mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, I've got to go down there. Yeah. We have investigators that come down here and we go, that's the echo of someone walking. But, yeah. you know, your mind plays tricks on you mm. while you are down here. Genuinely scary. Yeah. They idolised this figure who yeah. so many people fear especially back in those days, Christianity was the main religion and if you didn't follow that, you were cast away from society. Presumably they would still have been going to church publicly. Hiding in plain sight. Exactly. Right, we're going down to the deepest part of the caves, through a ragged tunnel into a... Oh, wow. You can probably hear an echo. We're in a circular... Quite tall cavern, what, 30 foot high? 40 foot high and 60 foot across. Wow. And screaming down here with the acoustics is amazing. It's like you scare the living daylights out of people. It's probably what they wanted. Drama, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The whole sense of occasion. This is where you are. Ceremony. Ceremony. And this was where they held these full chapters. So they had these four alcoves, and they were said to have this massive oak table in the middle. It's sort of, again reiterates that maybe they were going off the stories of the knights at the round table and they had fruits and cheeses and yeah. meats and you know all the things that were rich at the time claret was the drink of choice of the night and they even had bands playing down here you can see loads of pickaxe marks so underneath there's how many five alcoves and underneath them there's a block of stone with 
quite sharp chisel marks. Do either of you want to have a guess on what they were representing? Well, I mean, I suppose they could be sexual conquests. Yes, tallies. Mm -hmm. That these alcoves were said to have beds inside them and curtains drawn across them. Right. These tally marks were said to represent how many people were took to bed in these alcoves. Okay, there's quite a lot of marks. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of marks there. Yeah. And past this point of the banqueting hall is where only these 12 superior members were allowed. That's where they held all their potential sacrifices and satanic rituals. And you feel that difference between up here and down there. Yes, it's obviously the oxygen is thinner and it will take you about five minutes to walk back to the surface. And it's that uneasiness. This corridor is the only point of the caves that I despise. Suki, the white lady, she was actually murdered down here. So Suki, she was a maid at the Georgian Dragon, which was the old coaching at the time. And she fell in love with this man who was probably just passing through from London. Later on in the day, she received a letter underneath her door telling her that he wanted to run away with her. So she donned a white dress, came up to the caves to meet him. While she didn't find him, she did hear a voice calling her within the caves. So she followed it, feeling her way down. She came to the mouth of the banqueting hall. She found three of the local village boys. And they burst into fits of laughter. And she was distraught, so she picked up some rocks off the floor, threw them at the boys. They retaliated. One struck her in the head and killed her on the spot. We sort of think sort of the early 1800s, maybe, because after the club, the caves were abandoned. They just Just left it. Yeah, because again, they didn't have the courtyard. It was just a hole in the ground kind of thing. You can see, actually, the remnants of sort of the door hinges that would have held it in place. Yeah. And again, this corridor makes me really uneasy. Yeah, as soon as you just step in this room... It's much it's, colder. It's much it? colder. The echo doesn't really help things no, either. It, it does out, make it? you think, okay, it feels ceremonial. Mm-hmm. It feels, this is done for a purpose. Did the miners know what they were digging it out for? Yeah, it's true. I mean, if you were literally just tunnelling for the chalk, mm-hmm. you probably would do it in a linear way. Yeah. It would just be one straight tunnel, not a kind of network. Yeah. Unless there were structural reasons. But then, how convenient that they are directly underneath the graveyard and directly underneath the church. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing to think of this actually physically being tunnelled. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge space, it's isn't it? You can see on the walls how they've used these massive metal rods to bolt it into the hill. This is where all the bats live. And it's getting into bat season now. And it was literally, you stood in here and you could see on the cameras dozens and dozens of them flying around them. And it's, again, in those days, you probably would have had that as well. So you can think them doing these sacrificial ceremonial meetings strange thing and having all the bats around them as well and it it really does make you almost uneasy this point well I saw get that uneasy like I'm being watched feeling because we're not superior members of the club so to them if they are still roaming these halls we're not welcome down here two portraits are sir francis ii 1726 when he first embarked on his grand tour 
We know he was a prankster. He went into a monastery in Italy and he was dressed in a cloak and had a horse whip with him. They apparently cursed El Diablo at him and he ran out. And we know on a different occasion he also dressed as the ruler of Russia to try and seduce this girl. So he was this black sheep of the family of traders. Absolutely. So we've got these two images. Mm -hmm. One, he's dressed as a monk, looking a little bit like Simon Callow. A little bit like (laughs) Callow. Holding a large glass of claret and sort of Franciscan robes. And on the right-hand side, there's a picture of him, again, with a large glass of claret, in a turban with Indian-style robes. Looking very pleased with himself. This deity, almost. Did they want to be worshipped by this club as well as, yeah. you know, worshipping the higher powers? This mausoleum that's still used to this day as the family burial ground. And, you know, as you said, you could drive up and you just, that's the thing you see on the main mm. road, is mm. this glowing monastery. Yeah, it's very imposing. It's, yeah. it's very much it's sort of, we're here, yeah. this is us. This yeah. is our land. This is our land, thing. you're coming into our mm. land Exactly. Now. now, this is what we call Judgment's Pass. Sinners went to the left and saints went to the right. And you have to make this judgment of yourself and go the correct way. If not, judgment would come to you. Around the grounds of the estate, they have all of these sort of what they call temples around there. And the Temple of Venus was said to apparently spurt milk out of the breasts of the statue. They laid the seed of the grass around so when it grew it looked like pubic hair. Then they built this sort of almost entryway that was meant to look like a female vagina as well. Yeah. They would have smuggled in women and, you know, they wouldn't mm. have used, you know, higher power women. But then they but almost worshipped them. quite because, pagan and quite... Yeah. The idea of the sort of womb inside yeah. the ground mm-hmm. and the mother goddess. Yeah. The fecundity of earth and yeah. you're burying into it. They had to pass this to then go and do all their... Surely they all went left. You'd mix it up, though, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, sometimes you know, I've had a good know, week, I'll yeah. go right. That way is steeper, so okay. I'm going to go that way. <laughs> so we're going the virtuous route. Yes. Whoop, there you go. See, it's very slippy down here. The path of virtue is quite treacherous. Yeah. It is creepy. Like sort of labyrinth. Digging further down, they wanted almost to be closer to hell, perhaps. Yeah. You get to the point you see the long corridor and it's what's waiting for you at the end of the tunnel. You're half expecting to see a figure somehow. Standing at the end of the corridor waiting for you. And in the dark, this would have gone on forever. How deep are we going? Mm -hmm. How far are we going? How far away are we, like you said before, Mm -hmm. from the entrance? We are a long way from civilization. Mm -hmm. It feels much longer than a quarter of a mile. Yeah. And it's, we, we, again, I say we have these paranormal investigations and there's been instances where I've been sat with groups in the inner temple and then the bats are flying as well and it's... Have you had a baboon? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Guess what I bought, Francis? Please don't say it's a baboon. Yeah. It's a baboon. <laughs> oh, not again. And here, as I promised, is our number six. It is very cold down mm-hmm. here. It suddenly hits you. Mm-hmm. So now we're in a chamber with curving walls and water curving underneath the hill and there are stalactites and stalagmites and it does look like a sort of ancient Greek Hades. The stalagmites and stalactites are fake. Oh. <laughs> but in Dashwood's day, what would have been here? Just the water itself? They had sort of stepping stones that they would have to cross. Right. In Greek mythology, you'd pay the ferryman and you'd come down. And again, you can see the door hinges that they used to have that would block this part off because this was the inner temple. This was where you'd have to cross to get to this satanic point. 
when they dug the caves, they did find a natural water spring. So the water is all natural. All the orange parts on the walls is actually dripped down where natural stalagmites and stalactites are forming. It is a very blood red, Mm. the natural colour. It's very daunting walking through this straight Mm. corridor and then you turn and it's almost as if hell has appeared and you have to cross it. Mm. From your world into the other world, into the underworld, into the hell. Yeah. Shall we? After you, Tim. Thanks very much. So, as we descend to the nether regions, that's where we're going to leave part one. Join us again for part two, which will be posted in a few days' time, to travel with us to the truly haunting subterranean chamber known as the Royston Cave, and to find out what happened when John Wilkes at the Hellfire Caves tried to summon Satan in the lower chambers. Folklands is created, written and presented by Tim Downey and Justin Chubb with music by Justin. Special thanks to Willow and the team at the Hellfire Caves. For more information, go to hellfirecaves.co.uk Thanks for listening.